I'm Dr. Jamie Grant. I'm a bossy femme bottom, and this is Just Sex, Mapping Your Desire. Welcome, listeners, to Just Sex, Mapping Your Desire. A fun fact about me is that I received my PhD in women's gender and sexuality studies in the late 90s, when women's studies was just emerging as a discipline. I was fortunate in this as it made it possible to more or less make my degree up from scratch and to work with some of the most radical post-Stonewall artists, writers, and activists around, including Barbara Smith, Minnie Bruce Pratt, Lorraine Hutchins, and John D'Amelio. These path-breaking thinkers helped me build a path to myself and to this incredible desire mapping work. Listeners may or may not know about the Desire Mapping Workshop, which I've offered for the past 10 years on college campuses and at U.S.-based and global LGBTQ leadership and human rights conferences. The Just Sex Mapping Your Desire podcast is a desire travelogue of sorts, a sharing of the questions I've posed to all kinds of people, mappers from the ages of 16 to 72, of many races, genders, and sexualities, in many different languages, cultures, and geographies, and also a sharing of the answers mappers have so generously offered about their sex and their desire. Over the course of a decade of desire mapping, I've discovered a single commonality among the people who have taken the workshop. And the surprising singular thing is this. We all lie about what we want. We lie to strangers, we lie to our beloveds, and most of all, we lie to ourselves. The hard truth that has become crystal clear over time is that all of us have had to fight for and form our identity and our sexuality with multiple forces working against us. Racism, sexism, queer, trans, and biphobias, and sex phobias. We've had to push back against the expectations and agendas of our parents, our mentors, the internet, churches, coaches, and at times, even our closest friends. Desire mapping asks us to look deeply at our sex stories for clues about the true selves we've left behind in that struggle. One of the people I met very early in my journey to myself, to my sexuality, and to my work as an activist is here with us today. Emily Zern, an AIDS-era activist who fought for the inclusion of lesbians in the first major health studies that documented lesbian health disparities in the U.S. Emily was also the founder of one of the first lesbian health clinics in the country, and her organizing led us to develop a workshop that was a precursor to desire mapping. So I'm just thrilled to have her here with us today. It's great to be here. Can you introduce yourself to our listeners with three descriptors of your desire and then any other details you'd like to share about yourself? Sure. Well, Jamie, the first thing that I'm going to say is that I am a therapist in private practice. Mm. And I do want to set a boundary right here, which is clients, you may not want to hear what you hear afterwards. So if you have found me on this podcast, it is a lot about my own personal story that I don't generally share. And if you choose to listen, I will be here to process. I also appreciate the boundary that I'm going to set, which is You can stop listening right now. So that being said, my three desire qualifiers. I am a solo poly switch, a dikey milf, and a faggoty femme. Lovely. And as you'll note, for our listeners, Emily always has multiple (laughs) (laughs) signifiers within her signifiers, which we love so much. 
So yeah, I'm so excited to catch up with you today because I always love hearing about where you're at in your story. I mean, we've been mapping together literally. I mean, the workshop's 10 years old, but mm-hmm. our work on valuing biographies, mm-hmm. our sex and desire biographies, is really like since 1992. Yeah. So we have been talking about it's our lives true. a lot, and I never tire of it. Tell us something about where you're at today. Tell us a story or okay. tell us how your mapping's going. Well, I think what I've been thinking about is um, the legacy of intergenerational violence and how messages that our parents and our families and our beloved ancestors had before or maybe situations that affected them that they then passed down to them. And so the biggest story that I carry is actually part of the lie that I tell myself, which is that my desire is too much. It's Mm going to be too overwhelming and it's going to be just too much to handle and that it actually will get me in trouble in terms of violence or hurt. Um, And it took me a very long time to realize not only is that a rape culture message, but it's directly a message that my mother told me Mm -hmm. that I think is based on her story. So I've just been thinking about how can we live out our lives not fait accompli recreating the stories that we were told about who we could be or who we could love or how we could love or would we be okay if we um, embodied our desire and lived out our pleasure. Um, So I'm thinking a lot about that. I'm also thinking um, a lot about pleasure activism um, and Adrienne Marie Brown's book Mm -hmm. and how um, pleasure is an even more global thing than an orgasm, but that if we don't start to embody ourselves and start to continue to enjoy um, each other and be kind, loving, pleasurable, flirtatious, sexy, wonderful, careful, tender with each other, we won't have much of a revolution. Mm-hmm. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. And do you have any particular wonderful connecty story of late that you want to share in your own life? Is there um, anything? I don't have many new stories, which is an okay thing. I mean, <laughs> I'm fine with that. But I think just con- I continue to play in my um, in my desire map with this theme of can I let a lover really hold me in all that I am and all that I want and every single last desire, need, demand, mm-hmm. yearning that I have? Mm-hmm. Can they just take me there and it will actually be okay? Mm-hmm. I won't get hurt. I can negotiate it. I can be strong and firm and clear and, you know, either give the person exactly what they want or let them give me exactly what I want. Um, And I definitely think um, one of the early Desire Map stories that I would tell in our workshops was the Queen Fuckhole story. Oh, yeah. Tell that one. Okay. So the Queen Fuckhole story for me is a transformation of this ancestral message that I heard that my desire would be too much. And so... Um, one year at kinky camp, um, my lover set up a scene for me that was in a barn, uh, in the woods at a summer camp. Um, and basically she invited anybody who would like to come to come and play with me and fuck me. And I was on a table for hours and they also taunted me a lot because I was going to be going, um, soon to a beloved family member's wedding (laughs) and I was wearing a short dress so I had boundaries that they could they could mark me and hurt me in all my areas except it could show over my dress. Right. So then after the gangbang was done and I was properly sated, mm-hmm. um, I also had to send many reports back to camp 
about how I was doing as this dykey milf now at the wedding <laughs> with my bruised ass right. and my caned thighs. Right. So I really was a queen fuck hole that mm. day. And how was the wedding? Feeling how all was those the feelings? No, seriously. I mean, it's such a transgressive embodiment right. in that space. And how was it? I mean, walking well, around with those bruises and feeling right. yourself. Well, I think it was one part of it was lovely because I was going to um, the wedding of an ex-lover. Mm. And so one of the things I think is that it made me feel much more playful mm. and it made me feel connected to celebrating her in her current relationship. And it made me sort of um, gather all of her exes who were all there and have us all have a picture together. And uh, I was just, I felt playful uh, and I felt embodied. I felt in my, in my body. I love Even that. with the pain, you know? I love so, that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you've been, a, you know, a desire mapping core faculty member since the very first workshop in 2008, and again, for our listeners, Emily often serves as what we call our vibe watcher, which is a really crucial role in the workshop, which is to make sure everybody, as they're going through their histories, uh, has support. Right. Something jumps off and they really need to take a breather or right. talk to someone who, who ground them. Emily is there, uh, and we've recruited a team of, of vibe watchers over the years. And you've also led and facilitated the workshop Correct. as well. So I wonder if you can talk about some of the surprises or delights or meaningful moments for you, some of the highlights for you along the way of being in community in this way and, yeah. and hearing people do their stories. Yeah, well, I think there are three different things for me that I would um, bring up as delights. One is just watching the faculty and, and the people who facilitate and um, also who share their desire points. I feel like um, that in and of itself is transformational for them to get clear about where they are in their own sexual and desire journeys, good, bad, or in between, um, to highlight a few things I think makes them sort of appreciate themselves and they feel like they're then more embodied in their own journey. It's mm -hmm. sort of like a big boost of energy just by telling and it's not any, nothing else needs to happen in the workshop, but once they tell their story, they feel better about who they are and where they're going. So mm -hmm. I, I think that's always remarkable. I think another thing is Oftentimes, I think in the workshop, people go to a scarcity place first, like they sort of say, oh, these are all the things I'm not quite doing, or these are all the things that I've been neglecting myself or neglecting myself in this relationship, or I'm not getting what I want. And then I feel like it's a little bit transformational in terms of they recognize more sort of their tools or their resilience or their ways out. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's a really beautiful thing. And then the last thing is I'm always struck by how creative survivors of interpersonal violence and trauma are about finding their path to be their most sexy selves mm -hmm. and that they actually can use sex and play particularly in queer and um, sort of pluralistic relationships to find what they need to heal right I mean that has been transformational for me in doing the work I do as a therapist to realize people could actually go out and have sexual experiences and relationships that help them heal mm -hmm. it's it's really great and I feel like mapping brings that to the surface in a very safe way mm -hmm. yeah and one of the things that those three pieces bring up for me is sort of the power of creating 
your own group of people to have a yeah. lifelong conversation with. I feel like in taking the workshop everywhere and, and recruiting a bunch of folks to think about their stories and share, we now are in this kind of mobile, global conversation right. about sex and desire. And it feels so much easier to talk about the hard stuff. It feels so much easier to talk about the things that we've hidden about ourselves yeah. or that we think are shameful or we're the only ones or that this is an impossible contradiction. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you and I are both in our 50s now. Mm -hmm. We got into sexual liberation work when we were in our 20s. We've had a whole bunch of kids. We have had a number of significant lovers and partners along the way and very different relationship configurations as we've gone. What I think of as a very rich queer life. Where are you headed now? I mean, what would you say are the directions or like we talk about our maps, our stories, our past as being a guidepost to mm -hmm. our future, right? If we're grounded in the truth of ourselves and those very real moments that scare us sometimes, like if we can claim those, they actually point us somewhere. So what are you even thinking about, you know, what, what your story is pointing you toward? Well, I think one thing that I'm thinking about is that feet becoming more and more comfortable with aging and uh, a less orgasmic future, mm -hmm. but that that doesn't mean that I'm denying myself pleasure. Mm. Um, so I think sort of as a postmenopausal person, my desire, my libido is less, but that doesn't mean I can't experience pleasure. Right. So I think continuing to think about what it is that I want. I don't quite have it yet because I think I'm still sort of shocked by how different my libido feels. So I'm curious about aging and connection and what feels good. And also there is something very powerful about being in our fifties and people valuing what we have to say that feels very different. Um, I mean, I definitely feel like I was valued as an activist in my twenties to talk a lot about a lot of different things, but there's a way that we have, um, a longer view um, and a more mellowed out view that sort of has in it a kind of we got to keep persisting and keep on keeping on. Mm -hmm. So that the fact that I started in my college years thinking now if we did more take back the nights and we did more rape crisis intervention, more women would be talking about what they actually want sexually and there would be less threat of sexual violence right right you know what i mean like that's where that seed of that idea was and it's like still what i'm revving on today mm -hmm. so it's sort of interesting the, the more it changes the more it gets the same we just keep doing it in different ways mm -hmm. i like the way we're doing it now because i think it gives a lot of safe space for people to explore and play mm -hmm. i also think yeah more play more because, play. right, as we get older, it feels like life is a lot more serious in some ways. And I just think more play. More play. More play. Love it. Let's talk a little bit about that libido thing. The libido thing, yeah. okay. So I also, it's very interesting. I mean, I don't have the daily libido in the way that I did, right? But I still am so compelled by the kinds of interactions that have always gotten me off which for me is about having a dom really have a good head game with me. Mm -hmm. Like to be able to see those soft spots mm -hmm. and like really like I think of them having a pointy finger and just pushing on them, right? Mm -hmm. 
And so I don't come as much on a daily basis. And it is the rare person who can really connect with all the myriad things now that really matter to me and can see them. But when I have that, I'm just as multi-orgasmic as I've ever been and just as wet and just as, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. But there's something for me about the 50s that's about like, you know, I've distilled myself down a bit. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to go to the big parties with all the strangers and do the, you know, um, pleased to meet you thing very much anymore. Like, I've, I've met a lot of people and I don't want to not ever meet any new people mm -hmm. anymore, but I really don't want to meet them randomly you know, I don't want to be in like the big sea of trying to sift these things out. It's much more adjacent, you know, mm -hmm. the people adjacent to the people who I already love so passionately like yourself mm -hmm. and trust so deeply and know I, I trust someone that you know is going to be interesting to me, right? right? Or, you know, in this world of people we're meeting in our mapping worlds. So I wonder if you have any experience with that of like, it is like, you know, I used to feel every day like, oh, my God, get that vibrator out or I'm going to, like, you know, lose my mind. I need mm -hmm. some release, you know, uh, or, you know, grab whoever's in the laundry room, you know. But um, but now it's, it, it feels more, it just feels more maybe condensed or something mm -hmm. uh, and specific. So anything mm -hmm. on, on your map about that that resonates or doesn't? Yeah, I don't. I think I am still in a process of trying to figure it out, which I think if I were to say to the listeners, it's okay to be thinking and figuring it out. Mm -hmm. I think my fantasy life is still as vibrant as ever. So as long as I can stay connected to that, I feel like I always have enough ideas. I find that I'm a little bit more picky about my partners. So then that makes it a little harder to enact them. But I am very happy in my fantasy life. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I love the juiciness of this particular moment in queer and um, gender politics because, you know, who I can be attracted to and who's out there and what they might look like or what they might do to me or what I might do to them is like so much more diverse than when I first came out as a dyke mm -hmm. in the late 80s. Mm -hmm. So I love that. Mm -hmm. I feel like it just keeps getting more and more interesting. Right. So... Um... Now I want to move on to one of my favorite little parts of the podcast, which is definition of the day. And, you know, when I started thinking about queer liberation and sexual liberation, almost all of the definitions were not just limited, they were actually damaging to us, right? And they denied or pathologized our anatomy, desires, the ways that we wanted to connect. Uh, so part of my work has been to create a new glossary, our own glossary. And so every week I share a few of these revised and reframed terms and definitions. So this week we're going to do four and they're D's and E's and then we can chat about okay. that. Okay. So first definition is desire. Desire, a yearning centered in the body, mind, heart, and or spirit to connect with or enter the body, mind, heart, or spirit of another or the self often experienced as a surprise a shock to the system a loss of control heat chill stammer a royal of embarrassment or an ecstatic revelation desire desire mapping desire mapping a process of individual or collective inquiry that uncovers a person's sex and desire stories for the purpose of claiming and pursuing one's authentic desires and building our personal and collective power. Desire mapping. 
dominant slash top. Descriptor of a person of any gender or sexual orientation who is gratified by demonstrating aggressive, directive, and or controlling sexual behaviors to the delight of a consenting partner. The term dominant slash top is also associated with penetrative sexual behaviors. Top is often conflated with masculine identity and bottom with feminine identity. This is a limiting patriarchal construction that bears no resemblance to the ways that top slash bottom play out in real life. And finally, our last definition of the day, ejaculation. Ejaculation, when a person of any gender shoots liquid from a sex organ as a culminating orgasmic response. People of all genders may ejaculate. People of any gender may not. Ejaculate. Have any thoughts about desire, desire mapping, dominance, or ejaculation, Emily? Well, they're all just so juicy. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to use them as Scrabble words. They're really good. They're really good. I don't know what it is like. I feel like I can feel myself opening up when I was working on this glossary. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, breaking down the shit that has mm-hmm. been keeping us or keeping me mm-hmm. and, you know, many of the mm-hmm. mappers I've met in mm-hmm. these cages. I just feel delighted every time I read one. <laughs> well, and I love, I actually have never thought of uh, my personal ejaculation as um, comparable to that um, that comes out of a penis because I usually squirt or ejaculate before orgasm. I excite I'm excited uh, and I ejaculate. So it's not when I come. Don't you think that's an that's a different kind of come but also a come? No. Well, yeah, but it doesn't feel it's not the culmination. It doesn't feel culminating. So maybe it feels I need like to excitement. See, see, this is how I revise the definitions <laughs> is having a more nuanced talk about how people actually experience their right. ejaculation. So have to go back to the drawing board okay. with that one now. Well, That's, no, but I like it. You do like it. Yeah, I do like it. But it doesn't, but it doesn't feel culminating. What, yeah. Well, I might say exciting or yeah. culminating. Thanks for that, babe. You're welcome. <laughs> Hey, we're going to take a little break from the show to let you know about my fantastic sponsors. First, Grinder for Equality, a global human rights program leveraging the power of our social and sexual connections for LGBTQ liberation rights and safety around the world. Also, I'd like to thank Elizabeth Scott, a longtime Desire Mapping fan who took the workshop over 10 years ago, a feminist philanthropist based in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And finally, the Freeman Foundation, also one of my long-term supporters, a foundation that centers the power of the erotic in LGBTQ liberation work. Thanks, everyone. And now let's finish up with question of the day. So question of the day features one of the core questions in the workshop and invites our listeners to work on it at home. And also perhaps write in with your experience of the questions or any follow-up you might need if you're working on your map. Today's question of the day is a favorite in the workshop and often shakes up people's current sense of what matters to them in their sexuality. So are you ready? Here it is. What lovers or crushes, you can do the singular, what lover or crush do I miss the most and why do I miss them? 
Amy, do you have an answer for that one? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I don't like singulars, so, you know, what do I miss the most, right? right? So, but I was thinking about, I often answer this, which is, has actually very much shaped what I pursue, which is one of my lovers, it took us years until the first time we ever kissed. We were very dear friends. Mm. And I would definitely say that we had an emotional relationship. And so when we first finally kissed, it was just so amazing because she actually wrote me a long treatise about what it would be like to kiss me before we even kissed. <sighs> so I think that I really realized that that kind of a combination of kissing is really important to me. That's one. Mm -hmm. And that the other is um, that first exploration where you're learning someone and learning their body and learning what they like and learning what you like and relative to them. And that conversation that is back and forth with your bodies is really, really hot for me, really mm. exciting. Mm. So I think, you know, it's kind of like I could, the thing I could say about most is like, I always miss the first few dates because they're sort of awkward and wonderful and amazing. And then you have a lot of chemicals. Yes. So I think I miss the first few dates of any relationship. Yes. Mm. What about you, Jamie? Well, when I wrote this this time, mm -hmm. I had a memory of mm. a lover that I had that you and I no, mm -hmm. very well. Uh, I'll say her first name, Tracy, who you know was my lover in the nineties and at the height of the AIDS crisis. Mm -hmm. You know, it was a very intense time, and I'm totally happy Tracy's where she is at and where I'm at now. So I don't miss us being in relationship right. together. But we had this kind of really wonderful, you know, we had a wonderful relationship in the in the early nineties, and there was a lot of attentiveness to detail. And Tracy was really funny. So I'll just tell this one story that I love, which is uh, we both watched Robin Williams and the Fisher King, mm -hmm. and we loved it, old movie, and the, there was a great song in it called How About You? And it really was about desire. It's, mm -hmm. It names all these different things that you could like and that you, people like differently. Mm -hmm. uh, and we both just fell in love with this song. And, you know, back then you had to, like, go to the record store, yeah. pull the record out, find the record. So... You know, we looked around for it or whatever. And then I went away on a business trip once. And I come home and Tracy, it, it was just like a little studio apartment in DuPont Circle. And I open the door and Tracy's in the bed ostensibly asleep. I can see her in the studio. But the song is on, right? And here's how the song goes a little bit. I love New York in June. How about you? I love a Gershwin tune, how about you? I love a fireside when a storm is due. I like potato chips, moonlight motor trips, how about you? And it goes on and on. But you can see it's it's a little desire mappy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um and so I was like so shocked, like she'd found the recording. It was the Sinatra version, right? And mm -hmm. so I, I put my bags down and I kind of cuddle up. And then then the Judy Garland version comes on. Then the Bobby Darren version comes on. Then I, I, the Rosemary Clooney version comes on. And it was like she had spent the whole week running around, finding all the different versions of it and making a mixtape. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And then when I came home, it was on, and I thought, oh, my gosh, it was just such a romantic and sweet thing to do. And I miss the attention and care of romantic, sweet gestures. Mm -hmm. I really miss that. It is so lovely. 
Thank you, Tracy. Thank you, Tracy. And we love to hear from you out there, so please feel free to write us at justsexpod at gmail.com with your questions, your comments, your thoughts, your uh, expansions of our definitions. We love to hear from you. Till next time. Bye. Bye. Hey, I hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you did, please head over to iTunes and give us a zillion stars. Send a link to your friends. Talk us up. If you'd like to respond to the show or stay connected, find us on social media under Just Sex Podcast and Desire Mapping. I'd love to hear from you. I like New York in June. How about you? I like a Gershwin tune. How about you? I love a fireside when a storm is due. I like potato chips, moonlight motor trips. How about you? I'm mad about good books. Can't get my fill